Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Tonight, we are continuing with a message series that I started last Wednesday night called Keep the Victory. And on Easter Sunday, for all of you that were here, uh, I preached about victory and how that we have victory through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for that today. And I'm grateful for the wonderful time that we had in service on Easter Sunday. But uh, how, how do you keep the victory? We have the victory. We have access to the victory. He purchased the victory. But how do we keep it? How do we maintain victory in our lives? How do we walk continually in victory? So last week I taught that one of the things that we need to do to keep the victory is that we need to stop believing lies. And there's plenty of them, right? There's things that maybe you've just kind of let kind of, you know, cling to you as you've gone through life and something someone said, spoke into your life, maybe something the enemy is constantly whispering in your ear, but you need to take what others have said and you need to take what the enemy has said about you and you need to stack it up against the Word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's a lie. And if you're going to keep the victory, you got to stop believing the lies and you got to start believing the truth. So tonight, I'd like, to, I'd like to introduce another step, a second step in keeping the victory, and that is to stay in the Word. We need to stop believing lies, and if we're going to keep the victory, we got to stay in the Word. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight, uh, you don't have to put your hand up, but uh, you know, that you've ever kind of veered in your relationship with the Lord, maybe you begin to walk away from him rather than walking towards him for a period of time. And maybe maybe you didn't even fully backslide, but you just found yourself drifting. I can raise my hand. You don't have to raise yours, but I can raise mine. You, You found yourself kind of growing stagnant, growing cold. I'd say that the likelihood is that uh, for all of us who've lived for the Lord for any period of time, that probably at some point, at least for a short period of time, we have all fallen away. We've all drifted somewhat in our relationship with the Lord. And the reason for this is because we're in a war. And there's a struggle going on over the turf of our lives. There, there are things that are competing. As a matter of fact, there are contrary factions, if you will, that comprise each and every one of us. And just in a very simple sense, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that we are three-part beings. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And all of these things aren't, aren't always in alignment. Right? All of these things are not always pulling in the same direction. And so that can cause us to drift sometimes. That can cause us to begin to pull away from God. That can cause us to begin serving self rather than serving our Savior. And so we are three-part beings. This is called a, a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit, three Parts and, and, and because there are three parts, there's, there's this constant tug of war that is ongoing in our lives. There are some people who, when they talk about us as human beings, they will say, rather than there being a trichotomy, that there's only a dichotomy. Instead of three parts, that there's only two parts. But according to what I see in the Word of God, I tend to believe the former in that we are three part beings. Let's let's look at this a little bit. When Jesus was in the tomb, we know that his body was there in the tomb. But scripture also says this, says you will not leave his soul in Hades. Hades being that place that was representative of, of, of the grave. And so he said you won't leave his soul in Hades. 
Brother Chris, if you'll come work your magic, this thing has a mind of its own. I apologize, but we're going to try to get through this tonight. So his body, his body's there, and, and his soul is there. And they, they went to Hades during those three days. And, and while he was doing his work and he was repossessing the keys to, to uh, death in the grave. And, and then in that same time, here's what it says. While Jesus was on the cross, he said this, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So those three elements are right there. There's the body of Jesus. There's the soul of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus. All three right there. Then in Genesis chapter 2, Let's talk about man. Let's talk about you and I. When God created man, we can see this trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit, all at the same time. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's our body, right? He, he's, he's down there getting his hands in the mud, and he's, and he's forming a figure. And so he made us of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He's a spirit, right? And so he's breathing spirit into us, and then because of that, man became a living soul, body, soul, and spirit right there. Our bodies relate to God in creation, in the visible world. And I think we've got a slide for this. In our spirits, they relate to God because they're from God and they're created to relate to him. But then our soul, what is our soul and what differentiates soul and spirit? Well, your soul is that eternal part of you. And it's your thoughts, it's your will, and it's your emotions. I like to say it like this, your soul is the real you. Your body's what everybody sees. Your spirit is what comes from God and relates to God on a spiritual level. But this right here, this is the real you. Many times we say, you know what, we're battling with our flesh and our greatest enemy is our flesh. But I, I, would, I would like to say that your soul is probably your greatest enemy because this is the real you. This is the seat of your thoughts. This is your mind. This is your feelings. This is your emotions. And so here's the problem. When Adam and Eve died, their spirits died. Okay? Well, excuse me, when they sinned. I said that wrong. When they, when they sinned in the garden, what died was their, was their spirit. God breathed in them the breath of life. And so their spirit died when they sinned. God told them, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, you're going to die. But if we go back and read the story in the beginning of Genesis, we know that when they ate, their bodies didn't immediately die, did it? But there was a death. There was a spiritual death. Their bodies began to die. Their immortality was lost. Physical do, uh, death was introduced, but their bodies didn't die in that moment, but there was a death. Their spirit, man, their, their spirit died. Their soul didn't die because their soul is eternal. But the work of God, that breath that he breathed into him, his spirit that he breathed in, that is what died. Adam said this in that time, he said, I heard you speaking about God. I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid. So we see that Adam still had his emotions. He still, he was afraid. He still had his thoughts. He still had his feelings. We also know that he still had his will, right? Because he made a choice, I'm going to hide. So his soul was still alive. His soul was still very active. His mind, his will, and his emotions, which comprise his soul, were still working. And the only thing that had died in that moment wasn't the body, wasn't the soul, but it was the spirit. Because God said, if you eat that, you're going to die. And they did. There became a separation between them and God. Their spirits died. That, that, that spiritual part, that spiritual component of them, that, that part that God breathed into them, that's what died. That godly part, that innocence is what died. 
So this is what Ephesians 2 in verse number 1 says. It says, and you he made alive. This is what happens in salvation. He made you alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. So how were you dead? Not physically. Spiritually, right? That's what he's talking about here. He made you alive because you were dead. Dead in what? Spiritually, in your trespasses, in your sins. And when we receive the Holy Ghost, when we receive the Holy Spirit, what does God do? He breathes back into us the breath of life. What we see happening in the early pages of Scripture with Adam when God formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's what happens when you receive the Holy Ghost. He makes you spiritually alive again. Amen. In John 10 and 10, Jesus said the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But here's what Jesus came to do. I have come that they may have what? Life. And that they may have it more abundantly. When we look at this scripture, a lot of times we like to focus on that last part. We like to focus on that. You know, they may have life and have it more abundantly part. But before he said you're going to have abundant life, the first thing that he said was, I've come that you may have life. You're dead. And so because you're dead, I came. And because I came and had an encounter with you, now you have life. In other words, church, without him, without God, without his spirit, we aren't even alive. Oh, yeah, we're here. Yes, we're existing. Yes, we've got a body. Yes, we have a soul but we aren't spiritually alive. So because Adam and Eve's spirits died, our spirits died as well. And Adam and Eve were left with their body. They were, they were left with their soul, but their spirits were dead. Their spirits were not alive. So they could only relate to God in the physical they can only relate to God with their minds and with their will and with their emotions. Yes, they could relate to God, but it was in those ways. So here's the truth today. Our mind, when you think about this, our mind, talking about what comprises our soul, our mind is what we think. And our will, and you can see this on the big screen, is what we desire. And our emotions are what we feel. That's how you break that down. What we think, what we desire, and what we feel. And until we are born of the water and the spirit, that's our predicament as well. Because of that, we, we make decisions based on what we think. We make decisions on what we feel. We make decisions based on what we want. That's what we would say would be B.C., before Christ. Or that's how we would live, maybe in a time where we're drifting in our relationship with God or, or maybe not living according to the leading of the Spirit of God. But when we are born again, when our spirit is given life, we then begin to care more about what God cares about. And we then become to want what God wants. And we start thinking about what God thinks about. And that's when good and godly decisions begin to be made with more frequency. And that's when spiritual fruit begins to be produced. And that's when our behaviors and our values begin to change radically. That ought to be when it happens. Amen. When you get a dose of the Holy Ghost, there ought to be change. Why? Because then we begin to value God and we begin to value what he said. And how do we know what he said? It's because we have his word. We have his word. And until our soul matures, our spirits, until our spirits come to life, many times we end up making selfish self-oriented, self-focused decisions. Here, here's the issue, and this is my first point for tonight. Here, here are three reasons why we ought to stay in the Word. The first of them is that our soul is selfish. 
You need to stay in the word. You and I, if, if we want to keep, if we want to keep the victory, we've got to stay in the word because our soul, the real us, not at me, the real us is selfish. As a matter of fact, the word soul means self. It's, it's your being. It's your self. So by nature, your soul is selfish. And because of that, our souls need to be saved. My soul needs, your soul needs to be saved because they're selfish. That's why we talk about, hey, we, we, we're in the soul business around here. We want to see souls saved. We, it's not necessarily bodies saved. We want to see souls we want to see that eternal part of people, that real part of people, we want to see it saved because our souls are selfish. And because they're selfish, they need to be converted. Our minds need to be transformed, right? That's the only way that we can ever come to possess the mind of Christ as if a transformation takes place. So we need to convert our souls. We need to convert our mind, our will, and our emotions. We need to get those things lined up with the mind, the emotions, the feelings, and the will of God. But in its unredeemed state, the soul is selfish. Let's look at this. Uh, issue of the mind, that, that part of the soul a little bit deeper. We could, we could talk about the emotions and the will as well, but for the sake of time, let's just let's look at our mind for a little bit more. Think about our, our thoughts. Our, our minds are pretty incredible. They're, they're like computers, you know, that are, that are installed in our, in our skulls. And, and some of our computers are still running DOS, Some of them need to be upgraded, especially as we get older. But our minds are pretty incredible things. Our minds store memories. Our minds categorize experiences. Our minds can even recall everything you learned about high school algebra, right? You got all of that, everything you learned in chemistry, still got it, right? Probably not. Me either. <laughs> but still, our minds are amazing because our minds are memory banks. And here's how they work. When you experience something in the present, when you experience something in the here and now, your mind begins to run a cross-reference, and it begins to check what you're experiencing in the present against what you've experienced in the past. That's why when you meet somebody new, Many times you can make a pretty quick judgment call about the type person that they are because you've met their type before, right? Your mind's cross-referencing. Oh, okay, you know, I'm picking up this. I'm seeing that. You know, this is, oh, this is jumping out over here. And you're beginning to assess what kind of an individual you're dealing with. And so immediately you form an opinion about them because what does your mind do? It reverts to what you know. It reverts to what you've experienced. It's amazing. And likewise, church, when you encounter a problem in life, your mind begins to run. It begins to function. It begins to operate. It begins to cross-reference and search to see, have you ever experienced anything like this before? What you're facing now, have you ever gone through something similar in the past? And then based on how you responded previously, your mind tells you on what you need to do presently. This is how you did it the last time. This is what you did the previous time when you experienced X, Y, or Z. And church, that is why we repeat our mistakes many times. That's why we make the same missteps over and over again because our mind, how did you do it last time? How did you respond? How did you react the last time something like this happened? Because we are repeatedly referencing what we did last time that stress arose in our life. What did we do when we got stressed out? What did we do the last time that that temptation presented itself? 
What, what did we do the last time that, that we had that, that encounter with that difficult individual? And we wind up reacting the same way. We made a noble effort, Pastor Chris, shut it down. Thank you. I don't want it to be more of a distraction than it needs to be. We're going to cast the devil out of this after church if anybody wants to come. We've got the anointing already. What, what I'm talking about when your mind begins to reference experiences of the past and, and you find yourself repeating those things over and over again because this is what I did last time, then this is what I need to do this time. Listen, this is called a stronghold. Some, so many times we over-spiritualize things. But you know what? You got a mind, and your mind's running cross-references on you. Hey, you know what? What did you do last time? How did you react last time? And, and then, boom, we go into default mode, and we do again what we did before, and it becomes a stronghold. And I, I know that you might not want to, to admit it tonight, but there are probably some people here this evening who have strongholds in their lives. They're strongholds of lust. And when you're presented with a certain thing, there's a certain response. There's strongholds of anger. When things don't go your way, you find yourself acting out. There are strongholds of pride. There's strongholds of insecurity. Am I getting warmer? There's strongholds of addiction. And on and on and on we could go. And if you have a stronghold in your life, listen, this is what happens when you come across something that is similar to what you have experienced before. Your mind says this, well, the last time that you encountered something like this, you went out and had a couple drinks in order to cope. And so you immediately determine that you need to have a drink in order to handle that situation because that's what you've done in that situation before. And that's why our minds need to be transformed. That, that's why the neural pathways in our brain, the super highways in our minds, they need to be repaved. They need to be rebuilt. And how does this happen? Well, according to Romans 12 and 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how is your mind transformed? How can your mind be rewired? It's only by the word of God. The only way you can dislodge a lie is to insert the truth. The only way to eradicate the lies that you believe that we talked about last week is to meditate on the truth. John 17 and 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. What is truth? Your word. Your word is truth. So the only way that your mind can be sanctified, the only way that it can be salvaged is by the truth of God's word. And that's why if we're going to keep the victory, we have got to stay in the word. If we're going to keep the victory, if we're going to hold on to victory, we've got to hold on to truth. We can't let go of truth. And then eventually, what will happen when you're faced with that temptation? Eventually, what will happen when you're faced with that stress or a problem? Yes, your mind is going to kick in. Your mind is still going to do what your mind does. But now, when it asks the question, have I ever experienced anything like this before? Your, your, your response, your mind's going to say, yes, I have. But then you're going to insert the truth of the Word of God instead of inserting that lie that you used to default to. Instead of falling, falling headlong into that sin, you're going to fall on your face in prayer. Instead of reaching for that bottle, you're going to reach for your Bible. Come on, instead of giving in to that sin, you're going to start looking for the way out. You're going to begin looking for the way of escape that he said, hey, I'm always going to give you. I'm not going to put more on you than you can bear, but there's always going to be a way of escape. Instead of isolating yourself and pulling away from God, you're going to get to the place where you're going to reach out to a brother. 
You're going to reach out to a sister to be accountable to. Why? That's transformation. That's change that's taking place. That's something that's being birthed in you by the word of God. And when that happens, let me tell you what's going to go on. Strongholds are going to be broken in your life because you start believing the truth instead of buying into the lies. Because you start believing what God said about you. Not what someone else says about you. Not what Satan says about you. So the first reason that we need to stay in the word is because our soul is selfish. The second point I want to make is that the soul must submit to the spirit. The soul has to submit to the spirit. Maybe you recall a little bit of what I said this past Wednesday night. Things that occurred in the physical in the Old Testament, even though it was in a, the Old Covenant, in a former dispensation, it still has a spiritual application for us today. The example is still there for us to learn from and to follow. So accordingly, we've got a, an Old Testament story that's being referenced in the New Testament. It takes place in Romans chapter 9, verse number 12, and here, here's what it says. It was said of her, and that her is Rebecca of the Old Testament. And Rebecca is expecting twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And here, here's what it says. It was said to her, to Rebecca, the older, that's Esau, shall serve the younger. That's Jacob. How many of y'all remember that story in, in, in Sunday school, right? The older is going to serve the younger. And let me tell you, this is not a one-time thing, but this is a scriptural principle. For those of you who are older siblings, you're older brothers, you're an older sister, this, I, I'm not talking about a natural principle. I'm talking about a spiritual principle. So don't get excited or, or upset or been out of shape. Th those who are younger might be getting excited for those of you who are younger, this isn't a validation for the reason you're spoiled because you think the older is supposed to be serving you. This isn't about birth order. It's not about the natural. It's about the spiritual. So think about it like this. When you were conceived in your mother's womb, your soul came alive. And I, I, I believe, I still believe that a fetus is a human soul. That an unborn baby is a life. So when you were in your mother's womb, your soul came alive. And then when you were born, you possessed a soul, but you were born, the Bible says, in sin. And you were shapen in iniquity. I don't care how cute the little baby looks. I don't care how cuddly they are. I don't care how innocent they may appear. We're born in sin. We've got a predisposition. You're not going to have to teach that child to be selfish. You're not, you're not going to have to teach that child how to lie. Because we're born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And because of that, when you're born, you're not spiritually alive, right? We read about that earlier. Brother Abraham, would you come up here? Come up here just real quick. So, so you were saved. You repented of your sins. You were, you were, you were uh, baptized in Jesus' name. You received the Holy Ghost when you were how old? We've been kind of learning a little bit more about your story. We learned during Passion Week and the first podcast that, that's up and available right now. So when he was 23 years old, he came to the Lord. And so your soul was born first. And your spirit was born second. Soul came first, spirit came later. And Jesus said, you must be born again in John 3. He said, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born a second time. The first time you were born is when your mama brought you into this world. But the second time you're born is it's through the water, through baptism. It's through the spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, right? And he says, unless you're born a second time, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're not saved until you are born of the water and born of the Spirit. That's the Bible. 
until you're born again, your spirit is dead. But when he breathes into you, when he breathes that breath of life, when that, that pneuma, when the wind of God comes upon you, that's when your spirit awakens. That's when you come to life. So Abraham, that happened for you when you were 23 years old. So for the first 23 years of your life, your soul was in charge. You did what you thought was best. You lived according to your, your whims and your wants. You did what you, what your soul wanted you to do. But when your spirit came alive, your spirit said to your soul, hey, this, this person is under new management. I'm in control now. I'm in charge now. The younger, the second thing that was born said to the older, there's a new boss of Abraham Gavea and I'm taking over from this point on. Let me ask you, do you think that the older liked that? Do you think that your soul appreciated that? Absolutely not. And that's when the fight began. That's when the struggle began. And there has been a fight every since between the soul and the spirit, between what you want and what God wants. Amen. 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 Thank you. older it's going to serve the younger you see the more that you get this word into you the more that you do what James says and, and you receive the engrafted word of God you know what he says then it's able to save your soul and your soul needs to be saved and my soul needs to be saved. Our souls need to be converted. They need to be transformed. They need to be told, hey, you're not running things anymore. You're not in charge anymore. Now, soul, you're answering to the Spirit. You're answering to God, the giver of life in the first place. Spirit tells the soul it's time to grow up. It's time to get in line. It's time to line up to what you were created for. It's time to really start living according to the purpose that God created you for. It's time for you to begin to mature. Listen, David, David of the Old Testament, David talked to his, his soul, and since soul means self, he talked to himself. Call him crazy if you want to, but he talked to, his, he talked to himself, and he talked to his soul. He told his soul not to be discouraged. Some of you might need to do that. Hey, I'm, I'm not putting up with this. I'm not hanging my head any longer. I'm not moping around any longer. It's time to buck up. Come on, it's time. It's time to be in, you, know, you don't need to be discouraged anymore. That's what David did. He talked to his soul, told it not to be discouraged. He told his soul to bless God. I will bless the Lord and his praise shall continually. He was telling, he was telling his soul what to do. It's another occasion he told his soul to be quiet. Hallelujah. Don't, don't pull that one on your husband or your wife. In Psalm 131 and 2, here's what David said. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child. What is my soul like? That's what it's like. It's like a weaned child within me. So David told his childish soul, calm down and be quiet. And he said his soul was like a weaned child. So how do you wean a child? You start introducing solid food into its diet. You take away the bottle. You give them less milk and start giving them a little bit of meat. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 and 1. Here's what it says. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Paul's saying, hey, you Corinthians, I wanted to talk to you like adults. 
I wanted to talk to you like you were mature spiritually, but I couldn't. But it was, I had to speak to you as carnal people, as babes in Christ. You're still babies, and you ought to be mature. You, you, ought to have, you ought to be at a different place in your life, but I couldn't speak to you that way because you're still in the bottle. So Paul was saying, you should be ready to receive meat. You should be ready to receive the, the deeper things of God as spiritual people, but you've not yet been weaned from milk. Hebrews in 5, 5 and 12 says it like this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you shouldn't just be out there getting taught. You shouldn't have to be spoon-fed. By now you ought to have the spoon in your hand feeding somebody else. You're a disciple, but you ought to be discipling somebody else. By now, he's saying, you ought to be a teacher. You ought to be showing others the way. You need someone, instead, you need someone to teach you again. They're having to teach you over and over again the first principles of the oracles of God. You're still having to deal with the basics. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, he's saying you're, you're spiritually immature and it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to begin teaching others. It's time for you to begin being an example for others. It's time for you to begin discipling others. You've got you've to take your soul off of milk and begin to consume meat. Listen, that's why it's important where you go to church. Because some places nowadays, they just preach opinions. And they just preach self-help methods. And they just want you to feel good about yourself. In some places, they're just giving glorified TED Talks. But we don't need man's wisdom. We need the wisdom of the Word of God. We need the meat of the Word of God. Yes, you may start off with the sincere milk of the word, but before long, you ought to begin growing. You ought to begin maturing. You ought to begin eating the meat of God's word. Somebody shout amen. So David said his soul was like a weaned child. And what does a child do when you try to wean it? They cry. They whine. They throw fits. They want their bottle, right? They want their pacifier. Why? Because they think that you're depriving them. So they cry, and they throw a fit, and they throw themselves down on the floor, and they pound the ground, right? They think that you are, you are keeping something back. You're holding back from them what they want. And because of that, they think you're trying to kill them. They're throwing a fit because they want something and you're not giving it to them. And it's all they've ever known. It's, it's, it's where they've gotten their sustenance. It's where they've gotten what, what, what they crave and what they desire and you won't give it to them so you don't like me and you're trying to kill me. You're taking away the only food source they've ever known. They don't know how good meat is yet. So they think that you're trying to harm them. They don't see the love. Oh, mommy, this is so good. This is good for me. This is going to help me grow up and be a big boy. No, they don't see the love in what you're trying to do. And likewise, church, when it comes to your soul, that is exactly what you are doing. You're trying to put your spirit in control of your soul. And in order to do that, in order for that to take place, you've got to kill the will. You've got to kill your thoughts. You've got to kill the emotions of the soul. That brings me to point number three. Our soul must die. Our soul must die. Three reasons why we should stay in the word. The soul's selfish. The soul's got to submit to the spirit. And third, our soul, our soul must, must die. Here's what I mean by this. Your selfish thoughts have got to die. 
your selfish desires, your, your selfish feelings need to die. They need to be put to death. You need to die to self. Soul means self. You need to die to self. That's the only way that you're going to be able to keep the victory. You have to die to self. It's true anyhow, whether you're saying amen or not. And the word of God plays a part in this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. It says, for the word of God, it's living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of what? Those th two things that are hard to distinguish sometimes, the word of God is able to divide them. It's able to discern the difference between them. And of the joints and the marrow, the joints and the marrow are right there together, but the word of God is so sharp that it can divide them. It's a discerner of what? The thoughts, your soul, the intents of your heart, that's your will. It's a discerner of your soul. You know what, normally we stop right there. We stop in verse number 12, but verse number 13 continues and says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open. Hold on to that word open. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 12 tells us that the word of God is like a sword that cuts on both edges. And you know what? Those of you who thought I'd bring, be bringing that sword in for every other time, I, mean, I, I could have done it tonight, but I, I didn't. I used it this past Saturday for Sister Gwen Lunsford's funeral, and people are, oh, he's going to be using that all the time now. I could have tonight, but I'm not. So there. But the word of God is like a sword that coats, cuts on both, on both edges. It's so sharp, it can divide even the soul and the spirit. But that word open in verse number 12, excuse me, verse number 13, it's the original Greek word trichazillo. If we can put that up here. The Greek word for open is trichazillo. Look at that first part, trach, right? Trach, trach. Okay, here's what the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance de de defines trichazillo as. We can put it on the screen. The definition, definition of trachezillo is to bend back the neck of a victim getting ready to be slain. You got the sword, you're ready to take care of them, and you bend their neck back. To expose the gullet of a victim for killing. That word open, it can mean, it can mean this, like lay open, like if you cut yourself, you know, with, with a fillet knife and you lay open the skin on your hand, to lay open. Other versions of the Bible say to expose, that, that, that it exposes, that, that's what's going on here. So, so let me make something very plain tonight, and that's this. God wants your soul to die so that your spirit can live. He wants to take that two-edged sword and he wants to lay open your soul. He wants to kill your soul. He wants to kill it so that your spirit can come alive. God wants to kill your unredeemed thoughts. Talking about your soul. He wants to slay your unredeemed desires. He wants to do away with your unredeemed feelings. He wants to lay them open, and he wants to replace them with the power of his word. He wants to replace them with what he wants for you instead of you continuing to live according to what you want for you. He wants to replace them with what he feels about you and what he thinks about you. That's what he wants to do with that sharp, two-edged sword called the word of God. No, he doesn't want to kill you, but he does want to kill what's killing you. 
He wants to kill. He wants to do away with what is killing you. He wants to kill your selfish thoughts. He wants to kill your sinful desires and sinful feelings. He wants to kill those things that are destroying you. So how's that for an encouraging word tonight? God's trying to kill you. Hallelujah. Just keep on coming back to the life church for loads and loads of encouragement. He's trying to kill. He's trying to kill the old self. Your old you. This is how the Apostle Paul said it. And I'm, I'm closing. Musicians come. This is how the Apostle Paul said it in Galatians 2 and 20. He said, I have been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. That, that, that's how he communicated what happened when he came to faith in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. That's what God wants for us, for us to be crucified with him. These are, these are Jesus' words about the matter in Matthew 16 and 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We've got to get rid of self. We got to kill self, deny self, and take up his cross. Climb up on the cross. Follow me. What, what happened when Jesus was put on the cross? He died. That, that's, what, that's what crosses are for. They're for killing things. And when Jesus was on the cross, he died. And guess what? If he died on his cross... He expects us to die on our cross. No, we don't have to die on the cross for the salvation of our souls. We need to die to self. We, we need to die to our wants. We need to die to our sinful imaginations. And the cross is where we come to die. Jesus goes on a little bit further with this truth in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Think, think about that statement like this. Die to self. Let him die to self and take up his cross. When? How often? Daily. I'm talking about keeping the victory. You got to die to self. You got to take up your cross daily. Follow me. Jesus said this is a daily thing. you got to die daily. Paul, Paul echoed that. He said, hey, I die daily. But why did Jesus say daily? I mean, isn't just dying once enough? Can't we just get saved and just kind of coast the rest of the way to heaven? Listen, if you want to keep the victory, this is so key right now. If you want to live an overcoming life, you're going to have to crucify your flesh. You're going to have to die to self every day. You're going to have to visit the cross. You're going to have to take up your cross. Don't leave home without it. Take up your cross every day. It's the Word of God. And that's why we need to stay in the Word. If we're going to keep the victory, the Word of God is telling us how to do it because our soul wants to live. But it's time for us to let the younger rule over the elder. It's time for us to let our spirits. I don't care how long you've been living for the Lord. I don't care if it's one month or if it's 10 years or if it's 50 years. We need to let that younger part of us rule over the older part of us. You need to let your spirit get in the driver's seat. You need to let the spirit of God begin to dictate to your soul. Just you stand with me right now? If you want to keep the victory, it's time that we become led by our spirit and not by our will and not by our wants and not by our feelings. If you want to keep the victory, it's time that we move from the milk and begin to consume the meat. It's time to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And God's word has the power to help that happen. He, he, didn't, he didn't leave you to do it 
on your own without any tools? No, he gave you the best tool that there is. As a matter of fact, when you look at the armor of God spoken of in the New Testament, there's, there's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, all, all the other various pieces, and everything in the armor of God is defensive. But then he gives you one weapon, one tool of offense. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And if you want to keep the victory, you got to get in this book. You got to begin to consume this book. You got to develop an appetite for the Word of God. You, you've got to move from being spoon fed, you, you, got, to, you got to move from being bottle fed. And you've got to start picking it up for yourself. And you've got to start thinking on it for yourself. And you've got to start letting it speak to you what God wants to speak to you. You've got to move from milk to meat. Hallelujah. Paul said, hey, I want to talk to you like spiritual people, but you're still babes. And I think it would do us well tonight to ask ourselves the question, am I growing the way that I need to grow? Am I maturing the way that I need to? Does my walk with God look different now than it did a year ago? Than it did five years ago? Or am I just kind of maintaining, just kind of treading water, staying in the same place, moving but going nowhere? Would you close your eyes right now? God, I thank you for your word. I pray that the word would do its work, would be a, a sharp two-edged sword, Lord, and let your word bring discernment into this place. Let us see the truth. Let us see the truth, Lord. Let truth be revealed, Lord. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't fool ourselves about where we are. God, but that we would see clearly through the lens of the word that if we're going to keep the victory, we've got to stay in the word. We've got to rededicate ourselves to the Word. We've got to make a commitment to hiding the Word of God in our heart, to living according to what the Word of God says instead of what our will says. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that there's some, some, some of my brothers and sisters here tonight, that they would come alive that they would come alive, Lord, as you breathe into them the breath of life. Lord, renew their spirit tonight. Awaken their spiritual man. I pray, Lord, that if their spirit man's not in the lead tonight, if they're being led by their soul, by their emotions, by their will, by their thoughts, I pray tonight, Lord, that your spirit would begin to rise up, that your spirit would begin to increase, and that your spirit would take the lead. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.